that the power of the name of Jesus is bigger than anything that we are facing, any circumstance that comes our way, that name of Jesus is greater. Hallelujah.
hearts we lift our hands we lift our lives to you we give you glory Lord Jesus the name above every name hallelujah at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and we worship you we bless you we glorify you hallelujah we choose to rejoice because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We choose to rejoice today, O oh Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands. The Bible says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So we do, Lord. We praise you. We lift you up. We magnify your name. Hallelujah. We choose to rejoice. We choose to shout. We choose to praise. We choose to be filled with joy, Lord. You have turned our captivity. You have filled our mouth with singing, and so we praise you, and we glorify you, and we magnify you. Hallelujah. What a privilege it is to walk by faith. What a privilege it is to walk with you, O oh Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. He is our teacher. He is our guide. He is our strengthener. He is our standby. He is our counselor. He is our peace. Hallelujah. We thank you that he indwells us because we believe in you. We thank you that he empowers us because we believe in you. We thank you that he quickens us because we believe in you. Hallelujah. 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 How important it is to declare those things over ourselves just because, just because the Bible says to do so. Amen. Thank God for His Word. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're uh, just so glad to have everybody here today. We're so thankful for those, our church family, who are watching us live today on Facebook and YouTube. Praise the Lord. We're going to dismiss the children to their class. And uh, why don't you, before you're seated, uh, greet several people around you. Give them a warm welcome and a God bless you. And then after you've done that, then you may be seated. Praise you, Jesus. Amen.
Hallelujah. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. We want to welcome you today. If it's your first time, I met a couple of different uh, families who are here today. Uh, they drove from, oh, let's see, it was one Merino Valley. Did you guys drive from Merino Valley? Am I remembering correctly? Oh, they're pointing at the ones. That's who I thought was Merino Valley. Where are you all, the other, where are you guys from? Ridgecrest, that's right. I'm sorry, I didn't know I was going to say that. So they get the award for driving the farthest today. And they, yeah, they told us, they said, uh, uh, one little lady there, we're both grandmothers. So when I'm saying you're a grandmother type, I'm including myself with you now. But anyway, she, um, she watches Pastor Mike on YouTube. And there's some people my, my grandmother age who don't even know how to work YouTube. So she says, uh, this is my church family, and I watch on YouTube um, all the time. And so thank God for technology. And uh, we have just really this last year realized how many people that are a part of our church family who we reach through the means of technology. It's just been uh, a wonderful thing. I think we mentioned a um, few weeks ago how that we moved, uh, the TV uh, show moved to um, from 10 o'clock until 11.30, and uh, immediately the first week, our audience more than doubled. And so we, we just trust the Lord that we reach beyond these four walls, all of us as individuals. We're reaching people for Jesus, and also collectively together as a church, we're reaching people for, for Jesus and the truth of his word. Amen. We have a praise report that we want to give you uh, today. David Jones, David, so everybody knows you. He's like Clark Kent. He's mild-mannered David Jones. And so he's standing in the back. Now he's hiding behind the books, as I said that. Anyway, his, we got a, a testimony, a, a praise report last week uh, regarding his niece. I don't know if you remembered. Uh, she had a seizure, and they were really concerned about her. Anyway, um, we prayed for her, and uh, then we received this. I think it was um, that day or the next day they wrote uh, to us, and um, the uh, niece said, excellent news, just got off the phone with, doctor, with the doctor who has been overseeing her MRI and, an, and another test I can't pronounce. He reported he does not see any problems with her brain other than trauma she experienced when she had a seizure and hit the hard floor. He said she re should recover just fine. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. We have a few different things that are going on this week. Uh, tomorrow night, October the 18th at 6.30, men, it's your monthly meeting here at the church. And I know the men really enjoy that. And so don't forget that to, uh, tomorrow night. And then on Tuesday evening, October 19th at 7 p.m., ladies, we uh, just kind of added this at the last minute here. But um, we're going to do a Bible study. I'm going to do a Bible study here at the church. We're going to have uh, some dessert, and we're also going to have a time of discussion and just just fellowship together. So join us here at seven. Now, for those of you who can't make it, we are actually going to stream it live onto um, the ladies' Facebook page, FFC Women. And so I think many of you belong. We have a, a good amount in that group. But if you don't, be sure and you can't make it and you want to participate, um, then just um, then just request FFC Women and we will join you to our ladies' group. Um, then don't forget Saturday. We have a great turnout so far, but 
Well, this Saturday is a financial seminar that we're having here from 8.30 until noon. Um, we have financial planners. There are six financial planners that will be here. That They, will, uh, they specialize in various wealth planning um, areas and they, uh, no tax and estate issues. They're going to discuss the latest changes. Of, uh, there's been a lot of changes to things. They're going to discuss those changes as well as pitfalls. You know, Christians sometimes make the most mistakes with their money, just saying, because they can be so sweet and gullible. And um, they're going to they're gonna give us wisdom on this and so uh, discuss various pitfalls that people make with their, with their money and with their, their planning. And so join us for that. The seminar is free. Normally, you would have to pay a lot of money for a seminar like this. And we're also going to provide free breakfast. And there will be no sales pitch. They're not going to try to sell you something. It's just to bless us, bless our church family. And bring, if you have some friends or family members, please bring them along with you and invite them to come with you. Um, it, it, we want to bless them as well. You do need to, um, to register for it. You can register at foothillfamily.com or there's also, in case you are not tech savvy, we have a, a sheet at the information center and you can register there for, for the seminar. Then <clears throat> on Friday, October the 29th, we're going to have a fall festival. Um, it's mostly for the kids or the kids at heart. And um, so uh, be sure and put that on your schedule. It's going to be from 6.30 until 8. They have carnival games. The kids can dress up. I know they have a pie-eating contest, a bounce house. Um, they're having a balloon maker. They have lots of different things planned and fun for the kids. Um, join us if you don't have any children, but you just want an evening out. Um, I love to be around children. Children are, they just get your mind off of everything, and they're just fun and goofy and silly. And I think adults need that a little bit more. We need that. Now, Clarissa may not say that because Clarissa has three young girls, and she's about to deliver a boy praise the Lord, yay. But so she may not agree with that. She probably gets enough of that at home, but the, there are some of us who need that and um, just to bring that joy. So join us that night. Even if you don't have children, it'll be a fun time together. Praise the Lord. Then um, as a reminder, we um, have are doing the Operation Christmas Child, Samaritan's Purse. You maybe saw the boxes in the back when you came in today. Um, go back there and pick up boxes. Um, we are going, we want to um, smash our record or equal our record from last year, which was 700, a little over 700 boxes. And so get your neighbors involved, get your family members involved, get your school involved, um, get your workplace involved, take some of those boxes. Um, you can use those boxes or you can just use the, the plastic um, boxes uh, that you can buy at the store as well. I was at Walmart yesterday and I saw a couple ladies there uh, sizing their Samaritan's purse box and I thought, uh-oh, we better get to the store before all the good, good stuff for Samaritan's purse is gone. And so, um, so anyway, uh, just pick up your boxes at the end of the uh, service. Also, they wanted us to remind you that um, uh, it says in there on the little uh, form that you get that um, it costs $9 per box to ship them overseas. And so they ask that, you know, uh, some, the 
uh, ministry asked that people could be uh, re- remember that to put the money in to ship the boxes and um, because they they need help with that as well. Um, then the last thing we wanted you to put um, on your calendar, save the date. This was just confirmed with this within the last few days. We're really excited about it. We're going to have a Christmas concert here at the church. Um, it's with um, the Tommy Coombs band. How many of you heard, have ever heard of Tommy Coombs? One. Two. Okay. Where are the rest? Where have the rest of you been? Okay, uh, it, he has played with Billy Graham. His band has played with Billy Graham and Franklin Graham. He's done um, Greg Laurie, the, their Harvest Crusades. He's, they've played for Promise Keepers, their Grammy Award winners. So y'all need to get like musically up there a little bit higher. So <laughs> anyway, it's going to be, I'm kidding. I hadn't heard of him either, so anyway, (laughs) truth be told. (laughs) But anyway, um, I I do know some of the people who who sing with them, and um, it'll be such a blessing. We're going to have it here at the church on Sunday evening, 5 o'clock, December the 12th, so put that on your calendar. Um, We're going to probably do tickets of some sort. We haven't decided that whole thing yet, but um, put that on your calendar. It'll be a lovely Christmas concert, just a a time of really great music, and um, invite your friends and family. We need something like that this year, don't you think? We need something like that this year. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, We want to give you an opportunity to give today. Um, The ushers are going to come forward. We're just so glad that we can see our ushers again. Are they coming? You can come even. And um, praise the Lord, you can find offering envelopes in the seat backs. And on the slide, it tells you the different ways to give. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for your presence here today as we have gathered. We seek you, O Lord, with all of our heart. We put you first in our lives. Not just with our words, O Lord, but also with our actions. Do we honor you? Do we put you first? Do we declare and act We're not just hearers of your word, O Lord, but we're doers of it. We thank you that you take care of our church family, Father. We thank you that their jobs are protected. We thank you that their bodies are protected. We thank you that their families are protected because of the grace and the mercy of God, because of the blood of Jesus that is over us to protect us from the evil that's in the world. And, Lord, that we stand and shine for the Lord Jesus. Shine forth his glory. Shine forth his victory. Hallelujah. Purify your church. And work in us, O Lord, all that you want. Hallelujah. We honor you with our tithes. 
is a representation of our work, is a representation of our time, that we love you so much that we give to you first before anything else. We thank you that because of it, Lord, the windows of heaven are open unto us, that we are blessed and we are protected and we are provided for. We thank you for great peace upon our church family. Great peace have they which love thy law, O Lord. For great peace. For uniting our hearts. For opening our eyes to the strategies and the deceptions of the devil to divide. Or to pull us away from walking closely with you, Lord. Hallelujah. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I forgot one thing I was supposed to announce. You can go ahead and pass those. You can throw up that slide. On um, Sunday, November 14th, I believe it is, we didn't have it last year, uh, but we have a Thanksgiving feast after the morning service. So we're going to have, oh, I see several smiling faces and clapping hands. We're going to have our Thanksgiving feast on November 14th. Uh, we just have Thanksgiving dinner all together. And you know what? Whether there's turkeys or not, probably the Lord will provide turkeys for us. But even if he didn't, we'd have a wonderful time together. Amen. Praise the Lord. Because God is so good. You can sign. Oh, the church is going to um, provide all the meat and, and beverages. So you can sign up for what you would like to bring. Traditional stuff is the, is the fair. And you can sign up at the information center. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Okay. <laughs> Chip is happy about that. Amen. Well, if you're done giving, why don't you join us for this last song? Your splendor. 
Lord, we do bless you. We magnify your holy name. You are the great I am. You are our Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for the word of God, the privilege that we have to be doers thereof. We thank you, Father, that by your word and by your spirit, you cause us to be conformed to the image of Christ. We love you, Father, and we always will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'm going to start this morning in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save or except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. This word perfect means complete. In other words, he's talking about people that are saved. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Folks, God has a big secret and it was a big secret that he kept in order to be able to fulfill his plan of redemption. Now, I read that scripture for years, and I guess for a long time, I just assumed that that mystery that he's talking about, the secret, was the resurrection of Jesus. But folks, that's not true. Let me show you some things in Matthew chapter 16, this is when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they responded, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, John the Baptist or whoever. And then he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered, and he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Jesus really didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about himself being the Messiah. If you look at the four Gospels, there are 65 times that Jesus refers to himself. 63 of those, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. Only three times did he call himself the Son of God. And those three times are in the same setting. He emphasized his identification with man much more than his identification with God as the son of God. And so it tells us that after Peter answered Jesus and Jesus said that it was revealed to him not by man but by the Holy Ghost. Verse 21 says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem 
and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. In chapter 17, verse 22, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry or sorrowful. And then also in chapter 20 of Matthew. Verse 17 it says, And Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we shall go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Now folks, these are all separate accounts, separate instances. And we know that because they're taken from the same book. Matthew's account gives us all three of these uh, times where Jesus, because of the time of his crucifixion was coming close. How that Jesus told them plainly. That they were going to be that he was going to be killed, but they would, he would rise again the third day. Well, didn't the devil hear these things? When it talks about what we just read in First Corinthians chapter two, when it talks about how that if the princes of this world knew, and he's talking about the principalities of this world, if the princes of this world knew what Jesus would accomplish through his plan of redemption, they never would have tried to kill him. Well, if the resurrection wasn't what Jesus was trying to keep secret, then what was? Turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 tells us about the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples and you may remember another, uh, in one of the other gospel accounts, it says that Jesus, before the Passover feast, told them how special this one was for him. He said, I have desired to share this, what we know of as the Last Supper, this Passover meal, with you, because he knew it was going to be his last one. He knew his time was coming short. And so it tells us about some of the things that Jesus did and said at the last supper but when the supper was ended Judas Iscariot went out left the gathering of the disciples and went to betray Jesus it seems that Jesus was trying to get him out of the room as quick as he could I always thought that Judas' betrayal of Jesus was something that was a long-standing issue and that he had planned this out in great detail. But the fact of the matter is, it was really an impulsive decision on his part. The Bible talks about the devil entering into him to carry out his betrayal. And all this was just right on the heels of the, of the Last Supper, the Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples. So anyway, once they get rid of 
Judas Iscariot, Jesus begins to talk to the disciples and share, especially from John's gospel, to share different things and truths that they need to know. In verse 33 of John 13, it says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say unto you, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. Verse 36, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither do you go? Where are you going? Jesus answered, whether I go, you cannot follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot, why cannot I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy, my, thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Chapter 14 continues what he's talking about. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, folks, notice the emphasis that Jesus puts on where he's going. He's already told him he's going to be raised again on the third day. There's no question on the part of the disciples outside of what Jesus brings up. And again, Jesus is focusing on where he's going. They don't understand, and he doesn't explain it to them. But for him, as far as he's concerned, I hate to say, perhaps it would be wrong to say the most important thing, but certainly one of the most important things is where he's going and what he's going to do. So he said, in my father's house there are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And whither I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my father. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the father and it suffices us. Jesus said unto him, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the father. And how sayest thou then, show us the father? Believest thou not that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 22, Luke's account of the Last Supper and the betrayal of Jesus. You remember he went into the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And he asked them to pray with him. He divided them into a couple of different groups. And when he came back to his disciples, he found that they were asleep. This happened three times 
Jesus finds him asleep again and again and again. But the Bible says that they were asleep for sorrow. In other words, Jesus telling them that he's leaving them creates such sorrow in them that it's almost like a depression. And what they're sorrowful about is what he said about leaving them. They don't want him to leave. Now, I can relate to that. But remember that Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to them and upbraids them for their hardness of heart and their unbelief. He gets on to them because they didn't act on or didn't believe. The different occasions, we just saw three of them in Matthew's account, Matthew's gospel, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They weren't expecting him to be raised from the dead. Now, I don't know if we would have thought anything different or uh, come to a different conclusion if we had been there. I'd like to think that we would, but we probably wouldn't. Perhaps it was impossible for them to accept or understand the true meaning of the resurrection prior to the born-again experience that they came into several days later. But Jesus is emphasizing the where that he goes. Jesus is emphasizing the importance, the critical nature of the work of the cross that he's going to enter into. One of the things that Jesus said late in his ministry, he said that an evil and a wicked generation seeks a sign, but the only sign that they would receive or get was the sign of Jonah. Now, everybody remembers the story of Jonah. God told him to go prophesy and preach to the people of Nineveh. Jonah didn't want the people of Nineveh to come into God's favor. They were great enemies of Israel. And God had already told Jonah that if he didn't go to Nineveh and preach to the people, then they would be destroyed in a very short period of time. Well, that's what Jonah wanted, apparently. And so he ran from God. He didn't want them to repent, so he didn't want to get anywhere close to them. And in running from God, he was on the ship, you remember, and the great storm arose, and they finally figured out that Jonah was the cause of it, so they threw Jonah overboard, and he was swallowed by a fish. Now remember again, Jesus said the sign of Jonah is the only one they're going to have. What was the sign of Jonah? Well, after three days in the belly of the fish, the fish vomited him up on the shore in the region of Nineveh. This guy had some kind of entrance into the place that he finally agreed to go. But there's a psalm, Psalm 88, that tells us some things about Jonah and the time that he was in the fish. Psalm 88 starts like this. O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee, 
So wherever he is, he's been there for more than a day. Let my prayer come before thee, incline thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh into the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. Folks, these are things that Jonah says about himself during the three days that he's in the belly of the fish. Now, I don't know too much about fish anatomy. But I know that some way or another, whatever a fish eats has to be digested. However that digestion process works, I can't imagine it'd be too pleasant to be in the middle of it. Now, we would expect certain things to take place. For example, there's a, a part of this psalm that speaks about the seaweed wrapped around his head. That much we can understand and expect. But where he talks about his life being taken down to the pit, Jonah knows when God spared his life that he's not going to die in this fish. If the death of Jonah was important, why send the fish? Let him drown. He certainly would have after he was cast overboard by the, the ship's crew. So he knows that God is using this supernatural, even miraculous set of circumstances to get him to where God wants him to be. So when he talks about his life going down to the pit, into the grave, he's not talking about physical death. He's speaking of his experience, as Jesus said, would be a sign unto the world. Again, verse 3, my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. He's talking about the pit of hell. I am as a man that has no strength. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Are there other people in this whale with him, this fish? Free among the dead? The dead that he's talking about are not the physically dead. He's being numbered with those in the pit of hell. Now when it says, when the scripture tells us he's being numbered with them, it simply means that this is the sign that Jesus said would be given to the world. Again, remember, the devil has heard Jesus teaching his disciples the three instances we saw in Matthew's gospel Chapter 16, 17, and 20. The devil already knows about the resurrection that is to come. What doesn't the devil know then? What was it that God kept secret from the devil to accomplish the plan of salvation, his great plan of redemption? 
He didn't know that Jesus would be the substitute and the stand-in for man's sins. Free among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. He's not in a pit, folks. He's in a fish. He's talking about the substitutionary work of Jesus. And the substitutionary work of Jesus took place in the lowest pit. The place of the spiritually dead. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Well, the word waves, we associate with the ocean or with the water. But this word waves really is the word breakers. And it says that the wrath of God lies hard upon him. It's really speaking of wave after wave crashing upon him. Not Jonah. Jonah is protected from the waves by the fish that he inhabits. He's talking about what Jesus is going to do. He's talking about the substitutionary work of Jesus. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Who is the acquaintance that would be referred to as far as Jesus is concerned? It's the Holy Ghost that's been, that has left him. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up and I cannot come forth. One of the things that we see in the scripture that the devil didn't know, I'm sure he had, was acquainted with the scripture that was given, but he didn't, he didn't understand the meaning thereof. It's when the Bible tells us that we esteem Jesus smitten, smitten of God and afflicted when he was on the cross. One of the things that took place on the cross that surprised Satan, there's no way he could have had privileged information about this up leading up to the point in time. But when Satan influenced people, the Jews and the Romans, to crucify Jesus. Jesus on the cross underwent a transformation. You may remember in the Garden of Gethsemane that he said that he was exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And it talks about how he prayed earnestly and, and sweat great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now what is Jesus recalling from? Why the great suffering or the great sorrow, sorrow that created such a physical anomaly? Medical science tells us there have only been a few instances where somebody has sweat great drops of blood like Jesus did, and in every case, those people died. But Jesus is recalling from something in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember his prayer? He prayed three times, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, folks, that's a dangerous prayer for us. Because when Jesus said, if it be possible for this cup to pass from me, it was possible. He couldn't have affected the plan of redemption or accomplished the plan of redemption if he did draw back. And so it was very important that he was committed to the plan and the purpose of God even more than he recalled from the fact that he was going to be made spiritually dead, that he was going to be separated from his father which is what spiritual death is. So he prays three times, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now folks, if Jesus is not made spiritually dead, then that means he would have gone to the place of the righteous the righteous dead. In other words, those Old Testament seekers for God's plan. You remember we have the story in Matthew about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man being in hell, the lowest pit, is able to see over into Abraham's bosom. Now, those people in Abraham's bosom died physically, but they were in a place of comfort, not a place of torment, like the rich, like the rich man was in the lowest pit. So if Jesus just paid the price for the righteous dead, then the rest of us have no hope. I heard it said like this from one great minister. If Jesus was your substitute, then he had to go to the place where you would have gone if you had died instead of him. That's the lowest pit of hell. The sign of Jonah is revealed in this 88th Psalm to give us a glimpse. And it's just a a slight glimpse. But it's the most information that we have in the Bible of what Jesus endured for you and me. Now, he knows it's only going to be three days. We know that to be true because that's what he tells the disciples. Every time he speaks to them plainly about his crucifixion. He shares with them. That after three days. He's going to be raised again. Resurrected. So. We're tempted. To think of. If he's just running out the clock. Those three days between his crucifixion and his resurrection. He's just running those time, running the time out. But the time that he's running out is where the wrath of God is breaking upon him 
like the waves of the ocean crashing on the shore. Wave after wave after wave after wave after wave. I like to think of the devil seeing some of these things take place. When on the cross he's being made sin. When on the cross he's taking man's sin upon himself by his own will to finish out God's plan of redemption. I can see Satan delighted in the beginning when he sees these things beginning to take place. Again, Isaiah's prophecy said we were, we were esteemed him smitten, afflicted of God. But somewhere along the way, the devil sees what's going on and how unusual it is, how that it never happened before. And there comes a point in time where the devil has an oh snap moment. The 88th song continues. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up and I cannot come forth. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. So he's there for more than one day. We know it to be three days. I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Again, he's talking about the spiritually dead, not physically dead. Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Well, that's exactly what's going to happen. Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave? It was. Or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark? They were. And shall thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. But unto thee I, have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? That sounds a lot like Jesus saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. The word distracted here means dismayed. It speaks of a condition that's just at the point of death. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Here's the wrath of God poured out upon him. Thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. In Romans chapter 4, Paul is speaking about the faithfulness of Abraham. And he's talking about the plan of redemption. In verse 25, Speaking of Jesus, it says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. 
this word for is mistranslated. It's a word that means when or time. So it should read this way. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again when we were justified. In other words, there was a physical moment in time that God had already set forth. When Jesus, in the lowest part of hell, was suffering the terrors, not just as a man who died in sin would have, but a man given by God who took upon himself the sins of all of mankind. And that moment in time when it was accomplished, the recreative power of God came into the pit of hell. And Jesus literally became the firstborn of many brethren. Folks, one of the things that I think we have failed to recognize to a great degree is that Jesus was born again. We don't have a similar experience to Jesus being born again. We have the same experience. Jesus literally gave his life for mankind. And as a result, he became spiritually dead. I'll prove it to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, for he, speaking of God, hath made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is in the pit of hell, experiencing horrors that we can't imagine, where the wrath of God pounds upon him like wave after wave after wave after wave after wave. It's a relentless, unending experience. And the reasons for that experience is because the same quality of operation that Jesus enters into to become spiritually dead provides the same quality of righteousness for us because he's experienced those things as our substitute. It's easy to think in religious terms that God just laid upon him like you'd put a cloak over somebody's shoulders that God laid upon him unrighteousness as our substitute. But that kind of thinking leaves us with a wrong picture of us being made righteous. See, if God just laid over on Jesus like you'd put a cloak on somebody's shoulders, if he just laid upon him spiritual death and sins, the sins of mankind, and sickness, and the rest of the curse of the law, 
then that means your righteousness and mine is just like a cloak on our shoulders. And the devil can use that, that thinking, that line of thinking to rob you of who you are in him, in Christ. See, we were made righteous in the same manner, to the same degree, of the same quality that Jesus was made sin. So if we are to be made righteous, as the Bible says we are, then that means Jesus had to be made sin. That means Jesus had to take upon himself the sin nature of the devil himself. Not because he deserved it, not because he ever did anything wrong in his own life, but because it's the only way that he could procure righteousness for you and me. So when Jesus says to his disciples, you can't go where I'm going right now. And they enter into great sorrow and say, we don't know where you're going. Jesus answers them in a generic way and says, well, I'm going to my father. But that's after the power of God floods the gates of hell to rescue Jesus, our champion, and our substitute. And it results in you and I being born again, not in similar manner as Jesus was, but in exactly the same manner. Jesus was rescued from the wrath of God and the pit of hell, just as we were. Because of his substitute. Because of his sacrifice. Folks, we have no way to know. We have no way to comprehend. The destructive nature. Of the wrath of God. That crashed upon Jesus. Wave after wave after wave after wave. No wonder Jesus is so filled with joy when he appears to his disciples after he's resurrected. First thing he says to him is all hail. The joy that was set before him that kept him on track that enabled him to trust his heavenly father to such a degree that he laid down his life knowing full well it would result in the wrath of God pounding upon him moment after moment after moment for three whole days. What's the devil doing all this time? I think the only thing we can possibly imagine is that he's stepping back, watching these things taking place, wondering himself, 
what the meaning of these things would be. And then all of a sudden, after those three days are, go, are up, the recreative power of God floods the pit of hell. Jesus is born again, goes into Abraham's bosom and leads captivity captive, takes them into the presence of God the Father, comes back to the earth to pick up his body and to declare to his disciples that all things now have been made new. See, when the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. That new creation really means a new species of being. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Folks, we need to put the, the greatest measure of faith that we can into the reality that all things have become new. When we come to the Father and fail to accept the reality that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, these are things that Jesus paid for with a great price, his own life. And for us to fail to live up to the reality that we have been made righteous, not just counted righteous, but made righteous. When we fail to accept those truths to the greatest degree, it is as an insult to Jesus who paid the price the awesome price, the awful price for the reality of our righteousness which we receive from him. Thank God that his people have not been appointed under wrath. That's one of the greatest reasons why we can expect the church to be raptured before the tribulation begins. Because his righteous children, you and me, have experienced the wrath of God through our substitute Jesus. There is no place, therefore, for the wrath of God to come upon us in any measure or in any manner. We have been made the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, We worship you. We count you worthy because you paid our price.
we recognize that we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus at great sacrifice and with a great cost. Thank you, Father, that because we've been made righteous, there is no condemnation to us in any manner, in any way. For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. We are free from the law of sin and death. Jesus, open our eyes. Reveal to us the wonderful place that you've made for us through the new birth that we might walk in the fullness of all that you have for us. Help us not to neglect all that Jesus has purchased. Lord Jesus, by your blood, you've forgiven all our iniquities. By your blood, you've healed us of all our diseases. By your blood, you have made us sufficient in you. By your precious blood, you've made us children of God the Father. Let us not forget, ever forget, the great price that was paid for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.